1: All right, it is Thursday, and as promised, it is a Basketball Thursday. I know I sound terrible. I feel great. I feel great. Uh, I can tell the weather is changing and yep. going to get cold tomorrow. I think it's tomorrow because the sinuses thingy's kicking in. and it. I always tell them weather changes. I don't know about you, Keith. How would that go in Fargo for you?
0: Uh, not great, but at least we don't have a foot of snow on the ground right now.
1: Yeah, and wait you see the pollen again. How much pollen do they get up there? Is, virtually none. It's, yeah, it'll it'll come hot and heavy here in the spring.
0: Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Looking forward to that.
1: All right. Uh let's talk a little basketball. Women's hoops on the road, one at Charleston Southern, men's team, a fourth game, it seems like. It's not I know it's not in a row. Feels like in a row. That came down to a last uh you know, thirty seconds, minute, last second heave and uh Another tough one for ETSU as UNC, or not UNCG, that's Saturday. Queens came in and dominated the glass, really the big difference in that game.
0: They really did, and they did it without their leading rebounder too, which I thought was really just a testament to the way that team had been coached and, and the the way that they had bought into the mindset of, you know, we're coming in here, we're going to outwork you. And I think that's you you see why this team was able to beat Marshall. You see why this team went on the road and beat high point at their place, uh, which is a pretty tough place to win right now. Um they they just outwork everybody and they flat outwork DTSU on the glass. They got more second chance opportunities and turned those into more points. Um I the offensive rebounding numbers were pretty remarkable. Seventeen on forty two opportunities is really, really good. For Queens and they turn those into 23 second chance points and well there's your ball game.
1: Yeah, ETSU just uh, five or six second chance points. I think they were plus 11 offensive glass and plus 18 on second chance points and that was that was virtually it. The difference in the first half basically Queens had a couple technical fouls in the first half. ETSU yep. got four points. Uh, Jordan King on technical free throws and that was really the difference in the first half. A four point lead for ETSU. Bucks got it to eight, nine fairly quick early second half. Then it went really back and forth. There was a lot of uh, ties and lead changes, and then Queens got up nine with you know give or take ninety seconds to go. And a lot of fans headed for the exits, and then a lot either came back in or kind of stayed up there in the concourse and watched as ETSU at one point six had an opportunity um, to hit uh, a chance to tie. The and shot, they and a good they,
0: they executed the Valpo play.
1: I call it the old misplay. Oh. Just because Trammar is an Ole Miss alum and he hates it, and it was against Ole Miss. So, yeah. Uh,
0: well, he called it the Valparaiso play, the Bryce Drew play. Yeah. Yes, which is, he is, which not is what refer it is. To it, exactly what it's called. Uh, they, actually, yeah.
1: the staff called it Valpo, but I've already petitioned that from mm-hmm. now on it's either Rebel or Ole Miss, just to spite <laughs> Bruce. But.
0: Yeah, and uh, Tipler just couldn't couldn't hit the shot. I mean, he hit a lot of shots last night. It's it's tough to pin that on a guy that goes, uh, was, what, 5 of 10 from 3, 19 points. Um, yeah, this team, you know, that. Queens took away Jalen Haynes, and ETSU was able to adapt for a little bit, and then they went through a stretch where the shots didn't fall, and um, and they didn't turn the ball over a ton. It was just Queens beat them on the offensive glass and scored more points than they did on second-chance opportunities and just kept getting second-chance opportunities, and ETSU couldn't find enough of those on the other end to... Get where they want to be, but they also really weren't a lot of second chance opportunities to be had because the buck shot fifty percent from the floor, Jay, and lost. And um, I don't know if this came through on the radio or TV broadcast, but after he completed the handshake line, Jalen Haynes kind of took a big swing at the padding at the scorer's table and just, just you know threw. Like he was he was mad, and understandably so because you look at this run, App State, you lose by four jacksonville state you lose by two at home moorhead state you lose by four in the last seconds queens you lose by three at home these are games that are just slipping away little things over the course of a game things that you don't really think much about in the moment are breaking against etsu and they're all breaking against etsu and if that happens once if it happens twice you're thinking okay sure that's fine but when it happens four times in six games, it anybody's going to start to have that get to them a little bit. And, and I think you can see that this team is starting to be impacted by a string of tight losses, tight games, close calls, that they're coming out on the wrong end of all of them. And at some point, somebody has got to draw a line in the sand and say, we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to come out. We're going to outwork this team. We're going to punch this team right in the mouth. Um, obviously, figuratively, do not. they should not punch anybody in the mouth. Uh, Queens, at one point, looked like they had a couple guys that were ready to fight. I mean, they, they picked up a couple technical fouls over the course of the first half. But um, they were intense. They brought that intensity. They brought that work ethic. ETSU says we need to, or has to say, we need to beat the most intense teams that come into this building because it does not get any easier with a pretty decent UNC Asheville squad coming in here on Saturday.
1: Yeah. And we're going to turn the page of them in just a second. I, I do want to say, I thought again, justice Smith is starting to look a little more comfortable offensively. Absolutely. Does some good things defensively. Again, led the team in steals like third time in four games. The one thing though, if a ball's on the ground, <laughs> justice is not a diver. And that's to be my only knock on his game. That that, you know, he'll bend down to pick up the ball. We've seen it a couple times now. Guys will, will come diving in and knock the ball away or grab the ball. And he had a couple tough breaks again. He had a three second time he had a three go in. the first one was actually Tipler, but this was the second time it happened at ETSU. But he had a three go in when there was a foul underneath the hoop. Yep. That wiped off a three. And then he had a toe ever so slightly on the line, as it looked like on the replay. Uh, when he had a steal with 103. And he had a couple tough tough breaks yep. that kind of didn't go his way because he made an unbelievable shot that didn't count. And then he uh, certainly read the play, got a steal, and just a toe. Again, it was barely a toe, but uh, it did appear it was the right call. But a toe out of bounds and um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: a couple tough breaks for him. Brock Jensen went through layup line, so I was a little excited, not, not quite ready. And, again, I just – I think Jeremy Gregory's doing all he can do. And Mm -hmm. the 10 minutes he gave at Moorhead State, the 10 minutes he gave at Queens as a freshman, kind of learning. He's a little undersized. I mean, I think he is giving about everything he can. And I think just having Brock and having him go up against all those guys in practice at Tennessee makes him a tough kid that I think would have been great to have him in this contest. And Mm -hmm. I think there will be – I think a sigh of relief whenever he could get back on the floor. I still contend, and I know people are tired of hearing this, but when they get everybody back, I still think they got a shot to be a very good basketball team, especially in the league. I don't think the league particularly as great and deep as it has been in previous years. I'd agree. I'm not sure they'll have a team run away and hide like Wofford or ETSU in previous years. I think there could be a four-loss champion. In the league, but more importantly, I think there's going to be a jumble mix between three through seven or eight, mm-hmm. and you really got to try to stay out of that Friday game uh, in Asheville to play in that 8 eight nine game. So I still hold out hope. There's a lot, and it would start with a with a quality opponent now. Transition to to UNCA and and a guy that really dominated ETSU last year and Drew Pember. Um, twenty seven points in that game against ETSU a year ago. He's throwing a 40 burger uh, up this season. He had a 41 point outburst last year. He is the Big South preseason player of the year. So certainly, um, he's living up to the hype. I mean, if you take a look at just his numbers, he's shooting 42 percent from three. You know, averaging taking about four a game. He's making you know basically two or two for five a game. If you want to stretch out a little further, from the floor, he's shooting 51%. He's 86% free-throw shooter. He's attempted 89 free-throws on the year, mm. an impressive number. And he's rebounding nine and a half boards a game. I mean, it, you, you, uh, there's really nothing right now not to like when you're averaging 20 and nine. I mean, you could see why he's getting those accolades. And this is a guy that really – he spent a couple years with Jancic and mm-hmm. and Coach Oliver. And I don't know what the beef was between – Pember and Oliver, but Pember clearly every time he had a shot had something to say to Coach Oliver. And so my guess is he's going to be really juiced up to come into Freedom Hall and prove another point. He put 28
0: on Western Carolina on the 26th as well. I mean, Just a really good high scoring player that's hitting shots at a high percentage. He's rebounding the ball really well. He's just finding all sorts of different ways to contribute. And that sort of singular star power I think in some ways, it's probably what ETSU is missing from this group. You know, you look at Haynes, and he's a really, really strong interior option. Taylor has been really good when called upon, but he's not called upon a lot. Uh, Jordan King, I think, has the ability to be that guy, but we saw it last night. There were two or three threes that King more or less hit, and the rim said, eat my shorts like just push the ball back out and refuse to let him have a made three until very late in the game um i I think that sort of in in soccer the term is the talisman player right the number 10 right you're you're leonel messi you're you're killian mbappe those players are that's what etsu is missing right now and i don't know if somebody on the roster can step up and be that guy. I, I think it's possible. Um, but you need somebody to carry you through injuries. You need somebody to carry you through games where shots aren't falling. And uh, the Bucks got to find that player uh, because the the Bulldogs clearly have, and they are going to be a contender in the Big South because they have Pember who can just take them through anything and everything. And, uh, you know, like I said, the against you look at the UCF game. Um, you know he goes out and he hangs 40 on UCF in 39 minutes. The rest of the team was what 22 for 45, so not terrible. Um, but yeah, like he he scored 40 of the team's 98 points. He did it from the floor. He did it from three. He did it from the line. He led them in rebounds too. I just, that sort of do-it-all player is, I think that's the missing link right now for the Bucks.
1: I, I would agree. Who's the guy that can stop the bleeding? I think yes. that's been an issue. Yes. Um, I mean, you look at Jordan King, he leads the team in scoring, but it's not very Jordan-esque numbers. If you look at Sienna, you look at last year, 34% from the floor, just 24% from three. Then You know, Hay- Haynes When they start doubling tripling him, he's got to toss it out. He's still shooting 61%. You know, he had a couple tough break shots that didn't go down. That happens. Tipler, now that he's healthy back out there, he's shooting 45%. He's 41% from three. I think that's certainly one you can look to. You know, Josh Taylor continues to improve. 58% from the floor. He's 43%, 9 of 21. Again, doesn't take a lot of threes. I think he needs to take a couple a game, maybe three a game. You know, if he can give you one three, great. If he hits a couple, I know he hit three the one game, but I think that's maybe an outlier. Seymour from there. Now, Jancic was shooting 73%. So, again, I think if you can get a couple of those guys. And then, honestly, look at Justice Smith's numbers start to creep up. 61% shooting for a, a wing player, 35 of 57. I he does go to the rim a lot, and he's four of 10 from three. And I think the mid-range game has been very good for Smith and for King when they've been able to utilize that. But my thing is, is I don't – and and let's face it, King is facing everybody's best defender this year, and he did not get that last year. Mm-hmm. They either put that on Ladarius Brewer or David Sloan. And you could even argue maybe King sometimes saw the the third best defender, and so he got a lot more clean looks. And so I don't know if it's pressure he's put on himself. I don't know if it's the NBA talk. I don't know if it's coaching staff. I, I don't know. But there seems to be a heavy weight on Jordan King and it seems like he just won't let it fly you know what I mean just mm. just play caution to the wind he seems tight on a lot of things he seems a little down on himself um, you know a couple times his shot selection has gotten better as the year has gone but he still takes about three a game that are a little bit head scratching because I mean you can shoot from the E or the U of ETSU with one second to go on the shot clock There is no sense with 24 seconds on the shot clock. Agreed. Taking that shot. So, I think there's some things there. I will say I I did – there's about 25 minutes of that game. And about every game where you see everyone's kind of on the same page. The extra passes are being made. I thought the basketball IQ yesterday where Jordan King had a clean look in the corner for three, waited a half second, and I was curious what he was doing, and he did it to draw an extra defender and he was open to yep. throw it to a more open DeAnthony Tipler, who had a cleaner look and knocked down his third consecutive three at that time. And plays like that are when you know, you know, things are going well. You know, when the Bartow era was going well, there was a lot of Mike Smith and Pegram and Michael Williams extra pass to another guy that trusted to hit the shot, you know. A lot of Forbes teams, especially with Cromer and his crew, and then you fast-forward a year to the 30-14 with, with uh, Trey Boyd and Tisdale and those guys, they made the extra pass. Pat Good, right? They were willing to say, I have a clean look, but if I make one more pass, this guy has a cleaner look, a more wide-open look, more time to set his feet and knock down a clean jump shot. And ETSU has at times done a good job of doing that. And then there are times where things are going bad, and I feel like they go away from that. And I think that's a little more player-driven because, I mean, you can design a play and say, you know, let's go here. You're, you, you know, you get the screen, he rolls, you kick it down. If he's not there, you make a skip pass. Well, from there, the guy catches a skip pass, you know, he's got a decision. Is that guy closing out fast if he get a shot? Is he closing out too fast and you can draw by him? Do you go ahead and make an extra swing pass and see if you get a guy an open shot? So I think there's a lot – that the team is is kind of growing. I think defensively, there's you know they're doing very good stuff. I think defensively, the the hard part is the last two games where ETSU has not struggled rebounding. They have really struggled rebounding. I know Queens uh, was a good, probably the better rebounding team coming in that we faced uh, the entire season at ETSU. But I I think it's it's a little concerning that the guys aren't getting rebounding like they were earlier this year and getting beat on those 50-50 balls and rebounds. It costs them more head. It costs them at Queens. And certainly you look at some of the folks on the UNCA roster, and not just Pember who can flat out score, but there's some – you look at um, uh, Tajan Jones is a guy who can flat out shoot to three. He's shooting 48% from beyond the arc. I don't know to tell you about Fletcher Abib. If you've paid attention to, you know, the Citadel a few years ago, Fletcher AB was a guy that knocked down a lot of threes. He's shooting 39%. And then, um, you know, they get to the free-throw line. Yep. I mean, they're taking 80 more free-throws than their opponents on the season. You look at the rebounding numbers, they're plus three or four on the glass for the season. So I, I think some of the things that ETSU struggle with they are really going to have to – Figure it out, and I think if they could control the glass against UNCA and not give a lot of second chance opportunities, I think again all these are winnable. I mean, even last night, UNCA is going to try to press and push the tempo, and they want to get up and down. They're going to give up some easy layups, but when they give up easy layups, just like Queens did early in the game, and ETSU didn't get back. UNCA is going to get the ball out of the net with one foot, chunk it to almost midcourt, and then here they come. They're going to drive. They're going to try to score. They want to get in the 80s. ETSU, I think, would prefer to have the game in the upper 60s, and they feel comfortable really with that. But, uh, again, I think it's simple math right now for ETSU to be successful. I think they completely have to make sure – that they control the glass one and done. They don't commit a lot of fouls. And turnovers, there were single-digit turnovers. I can't remember Mm. the last time ETSU had single-digit turnovers, shot 50% from the floor, and lost. I mean, you're going to have to do a lot of research, I think, to find one of those games. But, again, it came down to you could easily talk that away by going, well, I raise you plus 11 on the offensive glass, and I raise you, you know, plus 18 on second chance points. And it's very easy to see. How a team that shot 33%, 34% beat a team that shot 50%. And free throws. That's something ETSU's been very good at going to the free throw line more than their opponents. They did not last night, matter of fact. And I know ETSU had a foul, and so there was an inflated eight or ten free throws at the end of the game. But still, uh, they made more free throws than ETSU attempted, which is terrible.
0: Last time ETSU shot better than 50% from the floor with single-digit turnovers and lost was UNC Greensboro January
1: 26th. Wow, last year. Yeah. Man, that was quicker than I thought. That's good research, Keith.
0: Well, I, you know, fastest nerds in the West. Yeah, there you go. Something like that.
1: All right, so that's a look at the old men's basketball. I, I, mean, I played this one on purpose since the Buccaneers played the Buccaneers. I don't know if you caught that.
0: Yeah, the Buck Bowl. Yeah.
1: So ETSU women's team, they were on the road at Charleston Southern. A 20-point win. It started off with... Um, A lot of Courtney Moore. She had 11 early points. She finished with 11. And then second half, it was the Giselle Thomas show. She finished with 18. And, again, we talk about rebounding. That's one of my favorite things to talk about when I watch the women's team. Journey McDaniels, 10 rebounds. Jayla Rufus Milner, 10 rebounds. Seven offensive rebounds for Rufus Milner. Was an animal on the glass again. And, um, you know, shocked DTS. She only had eight second-chance points, but they didn't really need it. I mean, they just did a masterful job of getting out to a double-digit lead. And for the most part, every time I clicked on uh, the live stats, it was still double digits. They eventually got it to, to 15, and then and it kind of felt like from there, mid-fourth quarter, obviously up 15, it was over. And impressive, again, start to Brenda Mock-Brown's tenure.
0: I just want to – the last time ETSU won nine – Non-conference games, which they did. Last night, they won their ninth. Um, The SOCON played a single round-robin schedule. And um, it was February 17th of 1990 against Eastern Kentucky. They won their last, the last time they won their ninth non-conference game in a season. I was 27 days old. We are talking about a, a, a historic start to non-conference play to the season for this group. The the high mark since the SOCON started sponsoring a women's basketball championship so there was actually conference play and non-conference play for ETSU. The last or the, the highest mark for ETSU in terms of non-conference wins since the SOCON women's basketball championship came to be is 11. They have Four non-conference games left. A very winnable game against UNC Asheville this weekend. A very winnable game at home against Longwood next weekend. A very winnable game in Cherokee, North Carolina, against Mount St. Mary's, which is the night cap at the with the Cherokee Invitational. And then Converse. Which they should win that one. So if you just win three of your last four non-conference games. That is the best non-conference win total in the history of the program.
1: That may put her already with that win total in like top twenty single seasons all time, anyways.
0: Yeah, just about. It would be a really impressive way to start the year. Um, I think there are some very winnable games. I don't think anybody in the SoCon is completely out of this team's reach. Um, I do think you know Mercer here, Wofford here, will be tough games but ETSU will have a chance to win those games. Uh, I think Furman is a team. They have a really good chance to beat both places. I think Western Carolina, you you feel pretty confident about being able to score a couple of wins there. UNC Greensboro is a team that's down. Um, There are some opportunities for this group to maybe add nine wins in conference play to that that total. Um, And then you're talking about if they get 11, if they get 12, you're talking about a 20-win season for women's basketball. It's been a long time since we've been able to talk about that. Uh, this group just continued to do everything that they've done well last night against the Buccaneers. Uh, they rebounded the ball at an extremely high level. Uh, they were, what, uh, plus 16 on the glass, 15 offensive boards, 7 of those you mentioned were Rufus Milner. Uh, she's been so good on the offensive glass creating so many second chance opportunities. Uh, the Bucks only had 8 second chance points actually, but they shot at a really high percentage. They, they shot 45% from the floor. They shot 40% from three within that. So 6 of 15. Courtney Moore came to life in the first quarter instead of the fourth quarter this time and helped get the Bucks off to a fast start. Uh, Giselle Thomas was really strong once again. Um, this team's got its strengths, right? Everybody has a strength. Everybody has something that they lean on. But you look at at a team that has an identity and everybody is bought into their role in um executing that identity night in and night out and i don't think we've seen the last of this kind of result like what we got it um at csu Fieldhouse, which i believe is called colloquially the buck dome it's a terrible place
1: if you've never been there
0: I will say I, this. I've never been there. I, I, do want, I do find it funny that Charleston Southern is in North Charleston.
1: Not on the water? No. No, it's not. It's, it, you know It's funny? It's actually West Charleston. It's not even in uh, – well, it's Northwest Charleston. Oh, yes, yes. <clears throat> and, uh, of course, the Southern refers to the Southern Baptist right. uh, old ties. So there's one uh, NCAA men's banner hanging up in that buck dome. Is that, uh, is that the fight in Tommy Conrad's? It is. It's, yeah. uh, every time he's gotten down there with me, he goes up there and stands up there, and I take a picture of him pointing to the banner. Yep. He is the only member, only person to ever take them to an NCAA tournament, and, boy, don't ask him because he will. We've said it for him, so he didn't have to say it again, but he's got it there. <laughs> it is a very tough place to play. It's one of those 600, 700-seat type deals, four rows. It's football team is usually uh, – very vocal, right on top of you. I didn't pay attention if they were because school, I believe, is out down there. So I don't yes. know that uh, there were too many warm bodies to make it a hostile environment. But sometimes I will say they can make it um, a little tough on folks and, and get people thinking about the wrong thing. But it will be interesting to see uh, how ETS. Oh, I, I
0: was I was thinking of uh, – because there was a game – and I think it was actually Belmont. It wasn't Charleston Southern. But when you mentioned, like, the student section is right on top of you, I, I felt like there was a game where J.C. Ward got the ball in the corner and you could hear the student section chanting, Who is this guy? And then he drilled a three right in front of him. And I was, I was like, yeah, that, that I believe that was Belmont. But uh, it's it sounds like something that would have happened at Charleston Southern.
1: 1,000%. That's a great uh, <laughs> call because it, it was one time in layup lines. And... Uh, a couple of football guys were chomping and Gelon Gwynn gwen went over there and i looked at the assistant <laughs> coach. i said hey man you may want to go get g-on and, and uh it was funny because um uh, which i think it was was it i guess it was penny uh, collins and he went he went yeah i went over i was like what are you doing he's like man they were just really talking he's like well that's their job like you used to play at cincinnati like you've never heard anybody talk trash to you He's like, yeah, I've just you know, just just I could really hear him though, because <laughs> nobody's there. I'm like, ah, it's all right, but it's an interesting place to play. Um, ETSU picked up that win, and then they come and and the weird uh, anomaly of playing UNCA, but at the other site, so they will travel up the mountain to go to Asheville, which is a four and four team. Now they've played three Southern Conference teams this year. They lost to Chattanooga, lost at Furman by one, but they did beat Western Carolina. Um, but just to score compare, I mean Chattanooga's off to a very good start. New coaching staff, they're uh, kind of figuring out themselves. Furman, I thought maybe would have a little easier time with uh, UNC. Did not sixty five sixty four, and really that's about the only score comparisons because other than that, they've played a, a couple of ninety ones. They played Queens women's, transitioning the women not quite what the men have been doing, and then they played. Um, a couple of big name teams in Florida and Virginia Tech. So really, yep. the mid-major teams are basically we can compare them to are are the Southern Conference teams that they play. Just to be their fourth, and it makes sense. I mean, they're you know if you cut through Asheville, to, uh, through Knoxville, to Chattanooga, I mean, you're talking about a three hour ride there. You're talking an hour to Western, an hour to Furman, an hour. Oh, well, I guess they play at home, but you know you're yeah. talking about just if you're doing kind of the a home and home and dropping a pin in a map. I mean, they're doing about everything they can to to get all the close-knit teams. And so, for Asheville, though, on the squad as a team and not knowing a whole lot about them and what they do, they struggle to shoot to three. 24% from the floor, just 39% um, from the field in general. They're giving up more free throws than they take. They're being out-rebounded. I'll take that back. They're actually uh, out-rebounding their opponents by five, so very good on the glass. Turnovers wide, 144 to 120, so giving up 24 more turnovers a game, probably two two turnovers a game if you want to average that out. Now they do got a um, uh, couple folks uh, that can attempt many threes. The problem is they just, I mean, 41 attempts for Dakota McCoffin. She's 11 of 41, yep. 25 attempts for Faith Adams. She's 6 of 25. Jordan I, Ivy is 6-22, so you can look at her. Now, she's got 12 steals. So, as McCoffin, she's got 12 steals, so they do some nice things defensively. But, honestly, this is a, a team like ETSU that struggles to score the basketball. Now, ETSU has gotten better. I mean, the fact, um, you know, they got in the 60s. I think VTSU, I think they'll hold UNCA to 45 or fifty. And if ETSU can get to 58-64, to 64, I see this as ETSU will win. Agreed. Uh, if, if
0: ETSU cracks 60, ETSU won this game. I think that that's going to be true a lot of times during the season. If ETSU cracks 60, with the way they play defense, it's going to be a lot of wins. It's going to be a lot of wins.
1: Unfortunately, we won't have that game for you. Because no, you'll be unfortunately. working on TV. Yep. And then no. – uh, they got a game Tuesday at home. We will have that. We'll preview that on Monday, but they will be back in action um, on Tuesday. I was just trying to see what happened in the UNCA game. They hosted Furman. and uh, Well, Grace Rye had her a day, 20 points, 10 rebounds, 18 for Sidney Ryan. Um, and that was pretty much 38 of the 65 for the Furman side. And then McKinley, Brooks, Sumter, their leading scorer, finished with 15. Seven of 12 shooting, pretty solid numbers there. Ten points for Jordan Ivey, five of 14. She was an 0 of 4 from three. Ten points, five assists, and five turnovers. Yeah. Looking at the rebounding numbers, Furman got him 42-41. Uh, five more turnovers for Asheville. Free throw shooting, yeah, here you go. So, Furman 13 of 22 from the stripe, Asheville 4 of 6. So, again, there's some very simple recipes for ETSU women's basketball to be good. They need to get to the free-throw line number one because they're a good free-throw shooting team. They need to rebound like they have all season long, and if they just don't turn the ball over, and if they do, it can't be, as we call it, the atomic bomb where it's a live ball run out and you get an easy two points if you – making a play and you commit an offensive foul fine if you over the back offensive foul fine if you throw it out of bounds fine you just can't turn it over in a light ball situation and i think those are the three simple things And i think etsu uh easily goes under the wing i i would be inclined to agree uh, i think
0: etsu's got an opportunity here to rattle off the next three you close out non-conference play with converse on new year's eve and then you you get Chattanooga at home. You don't have to go on the road. I think that's something that's really, really nice for this group is they don't have to go on the road for the Christmas holiday. They don't. Like, I mean, unless you're traveling to see family, you, you got that game on the 22nd, and then you can go home 23rd, 24th, 25th, come back. You've got a few days to get ready for Converse, and then you've got another four or five days to get ready for Chattanooga after that. Um this this sets up really, really nicely for Coach Mock in this group.
1: Yeah, it'll be fun to talk about. That's, it will uh, be.
0: It's gonna this gonna be a lot of fun to talk about on a day where we're not both just like if we were if we were dragging any harder we'd have scales and wings. I mean <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's been a tough uh Tough couple days. All right. Uh, <laughs> women's basketball at 2. You can follow that on ESPN Plus. So have the TV coverage of that. Men start at 4. Yep. 3.30 pregame show. Keith, have the TV. I uh, will have the radio call. We do want to touch on one note. Da, da, da. Da, 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 da.
0: Football, football. Won't be long. Football, football.
1: I know I said basketball only, but we do have some
0: Would you like to talk about football?
1: So it's been a tough year for ETSU prior um, or previous coaches, as last year was Jack Carlisle, the head coach. That was Mark Hutzel's head coach uh, for the first several years that uh, <laughs> Mark Hutzel was here uh, as the quarterback, as the Dome opened in the late 70s, early 80s. And so uh, Jack Carlisle passed away last year, and we got word that Don Riley, he was in between Mike Ayers and Mike Cavan, coached 88-91, to four-year stint with ETSU. He passed away. Uh, and so I, I do want to share that with the Buck fans. And so yes. ETSU uh, has lost a couple – Former coaches, and um, it actually took, a like, Coach Carlisle had a lot of conversation, his wife, with a lot of former players, and, and we're very there. It took a day or two to um, just confirm. I know it was kind of out there before, and people are going, why are you waiting to now? But we, we had not heard from kind of our historian, Billy Taylor, on staff. We reached out to Dr. Jerry Robertson, and, <coughs> excuse me, between Billy and Jerry, they were able to work some back channels and, and did confirm that Monday – uh, Don Raleigh passed away. So I do want to pass that along to Buck fans. Uh and the other only thing I was going to bring up before we talk about uh the semi-final games, maybe a g- quick prediction get out of Dodge is uh North Carolina at T firing. Yeah. Sam Washington Sam Washington
0: who was shocking. I it was 31 and 15. Yeah, in 4 years. In 4 right. seasons, 5 years because they didn't play right. in the the 2020-21 season. Um they were 4-1 and one in the Big South. One went away from being in the playoffs. And uh, the decision was made. And this decision, according to Stephen J. Gaither at HBCU Game Day, this decision came from the president of the university. This was not a decision made by the athletic director. This was not a decision made within the athletic department. This came from the highest authority available uh, for NCAA and T, And that's a little bit surprising. Um, it doesn't. I, I thought I thought they were getting better. They were showing progress. They were about they're about to join the CAA. Certainly feel like that's not the time you want to be making a coaching change and potentially risk, you know, scattering your players to the wins a little bit in the transfer portal uh, when you're about to take a significant step up in conference competition.
1: And if it was over rumored, could have been money. My question is, Was it because they went from the MEAC, right? Went from the MEAC. Correct. Then they went Big South. You go CA. Well, CAA coaching salaries are quite a bit healthy. We saw Coach Huseman leave um, Chattanooga to go to the CAA. Now, there's a couple others that have gone that route, and and so you can see that. So I don't know if maybe Coach Washington wanted to be paid like peers, and they did want to do that. Again, this is rumored. But I think somebody is going to get themselves a heck of a football coach, um, even just have him on the sideline as an associate advisor, something for a year or two, because I think he deserves. What he had done there to get them at 31 and 15, I think, was remarkable work. And certainly, and if it was money, then they should have been able to figure it out. But if it wasn't money, hopefully it wasn't anything that would – stop him from getting another job because certainly I think he was doing a tremendous job at North Carolina.
0: Agreed. And college football is better with him. in it. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, That is the 24th coaching change in FCS heading into 2023. Last offseason, there were
1: 22. Well, and they did uh, fill a a slot in the SOCON this week as Maurice Drayton Mm -hmm. was named the Citadel head coach. I don't think we touched on that. That's a really good hire. I like that. Great hire. hire. Um, Citadel loves to hire Citadel. Of course. Uh, look at who's coaching uh, basketball and uh, baseball right now. So they love to hire that. Uh, of course, Maurice was a heck of a football player for him.
0: Wait, is, uh, is Tony also the basketball coach? Because that would be funny. No, I know he's not. But that would be funny. Tony is the kind of guy that he, would take on both of those sports.
1: Well, he loves basketball. So let me tell you. Yeah. He thinks he knows basketball. <laughs> if nothing else, uh, he goes to every basketball game. He loves basketball, buddy. He loves not just college basketball, but NBA. He's a huge basketball junkie. So it wouldn't shock me. If he doesn't walk down to the coach's offices and give his two cents, I guarantee you, he's putting some input in there. But uh, Morris Turing, uh, I think, a great hire. Um, and it's his third stint, actually, with uh, the Citadel. A couple different stints. Was an associate head coach and defense coordinator with him. He started his coaching career there, went back a few years later. Now he's back for the third time as the head coach plus a player. Yep. Certainly it means something to him. It means something to to uh, the Citadel Bulldogs so that being said uh, congratulations Coach Drayton that's all the coaching news we got now we got two games coming up two semifinals a Friday night and a Saturday
0: yes Friday night is incarnate word in North Dakota State this is going to be a weird game because Lindsey Scott has been making some unbelievable plays throughout the postseason um, he is not Your Jeremiah Briscoe with Sam Houston of a few years ago where he threw for all those yards and touchdowns and everyone was like, oh, what a great quarterback. He throws for so many yards and touchdowns. I'll bet his receivers don't do a lick of that work. And uh, NDSU press man them to death. And he couldn't get the ball out. There were a ton of incompletions. You know, guys were coming in front of the receivers and just snagging the ball away. I think he threw four picks, three picks, four picks in that game. And uh they won the NDSU won like sixty-three to seventeen. So um they've seen teams like this before, but also they haven't necessarily seen teams like this before. I also wonder what the crowd's gonna look like because North Dakota is currently on the tail end of a really nasty blizzard that has been rolling through the whole Midwest. And this storm um, has gone all the way down to Louisiana. And uh, people have perished in this storm uh, down down in Louisiana. Um, uh, there are 70,000 homes in Wisconsin and Minnesota without power right now. Georgia and Florida are facing possible tornadoes as a result of this same storm. So uh, this is a pretty nasty front that's come through. It's dumped about a foot of snow on Fargo over the last two, two and a half days, and even more on the outlying areas. It's going to make it really difficult for people to get in. This game could be played in front of three or 4,000 people, which sounds bizarre for the Fargo Dome because you always think it's full, but... It's literally not safe for a lot of the people that come from Bismarck or Minot, Williston, Dickinson, the western part of the state, even people that come from north of Grand Forks, Pembina and places like that. It's not safe for them to come to Fargo right now. And it might not be by game time. So it's going to be a weird game. I still think North Dakota State's the better team. I think North Dakota State will handle its business. But I am prepared... For uh, unexpected nonsense and chicanery that will grab the attention of the Siccos committee, and then on the other side, Montana State and South Dakota State. Um, you know, I- I'm looking at Massey, and this says the Jackrabbits are favored to win, expected to win about a 60-40 shot to You're win. You're not the game.
1: buying it, Keith. Don't lie.
0: Listen, the next time South Dakota State wins a big playoff game will be the first time. They had a shot at a national title, and that wasn't entirely their fault. Gronowski got hurt, tore his ACL uh, in the title game, and Sam Houston won the title. Now, whether ultimately it would have mattered is up for debate. I think it probably would have, uh, because he's really, really good. But South Dakota State has a history of this. They have a history of getting into these big games and then not delivering. Last year, they lost by two scores to Montana State in Bozeman. Think back to a few years ago when they turned the ball over literally 10 times against James Madison. You're facing a team that's motivated, a team that maybe for the first time all year is healthy in Montana State. like They have their full complement of backs. They have most or all of their offensive line healthy. Um, This group is motivated steamrolled William and Mary they are not the least bit averse to cold and snow because they don't even have an indoor practice facility so they're used to this and on top of that it's been a long long time of Brent vegan getting the better of the jackrabbits I think Montana State goes in there and wins this football game I'm not saying they're gonna blow them out I'm not saying it's a 14 17 20 point win Montana State wins his football game Saturday afternoon, and we get Bison and Bobcats again in Frisco, and we'll see just how different that outcome is. But I think it might be pretty different. Ooh, and, is uh, that a tease? Mo- I like it. Montana State's dude, dude, they're just they're just playing at a really high level right now. All right, and I think it's clear that they were the better team of the two unbeaten's in the Big Sky certainly that they're the only team left at this point but they have they have had a challenging path at times they had to play weaver state in the second round i had weaver state seated and then they played william and mary in the quarterfinals a team that i didn't have seated and really if those games had been reversed i think they probably still would have gone the same way but also it would have made a lot more sense please stop giving the caa the benefit of the doubt anyway uh, uh, that's a soapbox for another day
1: all right, we will give you on Monday a recap of basketball over the weekend. We'll talk FCS playoffs. We'll preview because yep. I got to catch a plane Tuesday, head down to Baton Rouge, and we'll talk Lapre. It could be a little bit of a long show on Monday, but that's fine. We'll yep. be feeling better by then. I'll be feeling better by then. I will too, and I hope all of you are. Stay
0: safe and healthy out there. Yes, don't drink eggnog. It's terrible. <laughs> Definitely don't do that. Janky.
1: <laughs> Buccaneers <Buckethead, whatever. laughs> Network. La,